History is about civilizations that have come and gone. It's about the development of humankind and history is about the human stories worth telling. This is History for the Curious with Rabbi Aubrey Hirsch. Actually, I'm not Rabbi Aubrey Hirsch, but Rabbi Hirsch is joining us on Zoom. Good morning, Rabbi Hirsch. How are you? Good morning. Yes, fine. Um, Very good. I am across the ponds again. <laughs> exactly. And your accent tells us that you're in an environment where there's lots going on, certainly on a historical scale. We're going to talk about yes. that in a minute. I just want to tell uh, tell you that Rabbi Hirsch, he is a, he's a lecturer and he has a particular interest in history and he puts out a podcast called History for the Curious. And that's why we've named this show History for the Curious. It's not a podcast. We're absolutely live, which means that you can ask your questions to Rabbi Hirsch. We're going to be talking about the royal family and the Jews. What is the relationship between the British royal family and the Jews? We're going to be, Rabbi Hirsch is going to be setting the scene for us. We're going to be talking about where they come from. Is their surname really Windsor? We're going to be getting all that information. And if you want to get in touch, this is how you do it. You can send me a text on SMS. And that number is 34519. 34519. You can also send me a telegram message on 061-895-1019. And you know what, those are probably the best ways to get in touch. My name is Kathy Kayla, and today this is History for the Curious, speaking to Rabbi Aubrey Hirsch, and we're talking about the British royal family and the Jews. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. So the truth is that um, were you to be on these shores, uh, not only Uh, would the passing of the Queen occupy uh, much of uh, TV and radio time. But there is a uh, a sense of sadness following the passing of Queen Elizabeth. And I'm not only referring to the UK in general, but in the Jewish communities in the uh, various parts of the United Kingdom. And, uh, you know, it's probably worth spending a few minutes to talk about what is effectively now history, and that is um, her legacy vis-a-vis the Jews. And perhaps the the place to start is the familiarity aspect, meaning that it isn't simply that Queen Elizabeth was a name that we were familiar with, a, a name we knew, but every coin that we handled, every banknote, every stamp, basically almost every cereal box we opened uh, would, would either have her, you know, her image or her logo on it. And that makes her presence vastly different to, you know, I don't know if you were to compare it to an American president. Uh, they might be very well known temporarily. And during their presidency, their image isn't going to appear anywhere. Um, So here, there is a very strong presence. And I I think there's also a, for for most people, they've never known anyone but the Queen to be the monarch of the United Kingdom. And in fact, probably internationally, it's true to say that if you think about being British, 
one of the first images, one of the iconic aspects of it is the queen. It's not the royalty, it's the queen because of the, you know, the length of time that she was on the throne. Although having said that, talking about history, she wasn't really going to ever be the queen. Before we talk uh, about that, Rabbi Hirsch, you know, what you're saying about the products, it's so true. You know, often you'll buy an imported product here in South Africa and it'll say mm. manufactured under appoint, uh, by appointment to Her Royal Highness the Queen. Right, yes. Right? And, yeah. and it could be anything from Worcester, <laughs> from Worcester sauce, to uh, it could be absolutely anything. I think there was even yeah, a time when it was cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes, absolutely. Yes, there, it, there is a familiarity which in a way now uh, gives a headache um, to all of these manufacturers. Everything needs to change. What is interesting is that as tradition has it, the coins will take a while till they fall out of use. But when they do, the ones of King Charles will face the other direction. So hers face the left, his will face to the right because monarchs have to alternate. That's sort of part of the, the Britishness and the tradition of it. But yes, an enormous familiarity. Just to set things in context, as Jewish people, we are not unfamiliar with the concept of a king, right? Mm-hmm. A, a king, yeah. we, firstly, our one and only king is, is God. But we also yes. have human kings. There is a, there's a royal house of David, which I'm hoping we'll get a chance to talk about as, as well, is the Jewish context. But even in modernity, there is a, a blessing that we're meant to say when we see a, a king or a queen, right? Sure. Yes, yes, that's correct. Um, and in fact, the, the community in, in England is based largely in London and in Manchester. That's where the majority of the Jews live. But there is a a very strong, not that large, but a very strong community in Gateshead, uh, where there is a very well-known yeshiva, and it is a a sort of a a dynamo powerhouse of of orthodoxy, uh, despite its, its numbers. And there, the queen arrived to open the leisure center. I can't remember if it was 77 or 81, but a, a number of years back. And the entire yeshiva went out to be there when she did so. And the dean of the yeshiva, the head of the yeshiva, stepped forward and made this blessing um, over the seeing of the queen. Interestingly, there is some legal halachic debate as to what the uh, criterion is uh, to be able to make that blessing nowadays. And a question was asked whether she still has any power to commute the death sentence you know does she have power over life and death and it was discovered that in one of the very small commonwealth uh, countries uh, there is still a final right of appeal uh, that can be given for clemency and you can make an appeal to the queen and on that basis it was decided that yes she does to some degree have right over life and death and therefore, it should definitely be a blessing that is said. Absolutely um, so. fascinating. So getting back to what you were saying earlier is she was really the queen who was never meant to be queen. Correct. Yeah, because uh, if we go back slightly in history, so um, 
Edward VII takes over from, it's the son of the eldest son of Queen Victoria. He takes over at the beginning of the 1900s. He dies in 1910. His son takes over from him, George V. And George V's eldest son was Edward VIII. And he not only should have done, but he actually did take over the monarchy when his father died. However, besides for being somewhat of a womanizer, he um, was not a flavor of the month uh, with, uh, with the government. His, his uh, lifestyle was very similar to his grandfather's, to Edward VII's, which also left a lot to be desired. And he then famously announced that he's going to marry Mrs. Simpson, who was a divorcee twice over, and both her husbands were still, uh, ex-husbands, were still alive. And in fact, none of the newspapers in England could break the news because it was not the British thing to do. We're talking in the mid-1930s here. The American newspapers were reporting it, and at that stage, the Daily Mirror decided what the heck we're going to go with it. But, you know, the Times simply couldn't. And that created a furore. Um, and at that point, he decided to abdicate less than a year in, which is an incredible thing to do when you think about it. He, it wasn't that he was in line to be the king. He was already the king. And he th threw it all away and said, no, I'm going to live my own lifestyle, which for the Jews was a good thing because he was um, somewhat of a Nazi sympathizer. He definitely had links to uh, von Ribbentrop, who eventually became the foreign minister, and to others. And of course, the, 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 the royal family had been related to uh, kings all over Europe when the First World War broke out. So George V of England was the first cousin of the Kaiser of Germany and the first cousin of the Tsar of Russia, uh, to whom he bore an uncanny resemblance. So, you know, there was a lot um, of uh, interconnectedness between these empires and the British royal family was quite German. Um, in many of its, uh, in, in fact, if you want a particular example, it is known that Prince Philip, so the Queen's uh, husband for, for many decades, from 1947. The Duke um, of Edinburgh. Mm. Right. So his mother, the Princess Alice, yes. who was in Greece, lived in Greece, she saved a family, a family called Cohen, in Greece during the war. And she was uh, somewhat deaf. And when the Nazis came, she pretended not to really understand what they were talking about um, because they actually came to search to look for um, uh, possible um, uh, Jews in hiding. Um, and, uh, you know, Prince Philip at the time was serving in the forces, but she had other sons who were serving in the German army. That's how close this connectedness was to the Germans, even in the Second World War. So it, from a Jewish perspective, the fact that Edward VIII abdicated was a very good thing. It then meant that the next brother down, eventually became George VI, became the king. And his daughter, his eldest daughter, Elizabeth, uh, then became the queen uh, when he died in 1952. So even that was a sense of, what we would call in Hebrew hashkocha, um, seeing something happening which we couldn't plan for. 
And I would say it links possibly the beginning and the end of her reign, because at the very end of her reign, if she would have passed two days before she did, we would probably have had a constitutional crisis on our hands because Boris Johnson was supposed to resign, but resign to the Queen. And Liz Truss was supposed to be appointed as prime minister by the Queen. Um, and that all happened literally in the 24 hours before her passing. If that would have taken place a few days earlier, a couple of days earlier, we'd have been between ministers. It would have been extremely messy. So that's also, you know, the sense of timing very much is seen in, uh, in her lifetime. What stands out for you in terms of the British royal house and the relationship between Jews in general? Are there any incidents that, that stand out for you? Oh, I mean, yeah. And I'm not talking about the negative ones. I mean, I think we all remember yeah, yeah. the Harry dressing up and, you know, right. but, but yeah. what, are the, what are the good things that we remember? So, uh, I mean, one thing's for sure, the, the image of the Queen is very much one of somebody who was hardworking, who did her duty um, and carried out that which uh, she had pledged, she had sworn to do. And so you, you don't necessarily find her having close acquaintances within the Jewish community for the simple reason that you don't find her having close acquaintances really anywhere. She had to remain in a place as a result of her duties where she was a part. She was, you know, serving the country. But having said that, she definitely had a, a lot to do with dinners and even uh, um, overnight uh, residences of individual, of individuals who uh, came to uh, Windsor Castle, um, who came to Buckingham Palace who were knighted by her, who were elevated to the peerage through her. And um, Holocaust survivors were given a lot of time by Queen Elizabeth. Famously, in the last um, 12 months or so, there was a series of seven portraits made of Holocaust survivors. And, you know, she uh, made an effort to connect and to uh, to speak to these people. But maybe, you know, we will talk more about um, particular uh, vignettes and uh, reminiscences of individuals who uh, stayed in Windsor Castle overnight. Um, and, you know, the, the sense of uh, majesty and yet very humanness that they got from it. You're listening to Rabbi Aubrey Hirsch, and this is History for the Curious. That's him. I'm Kathy Kayla, and this is 101.9 High FM. If you've got any questions, any comments that you'd like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. 34519 is the text line. Those SMSs are charged at one rand fifty. Alternatively, you can also send us a telegram on 61 895-1019 on History for the Curious. We are talking about the British royal family and the Jewish community. Stay with us. This is History for the Curious with Rabbi Aubrey Hirsch. 
Indeed, it is History for the Curious with Rabbi Aubrey Hirsch. And if you would like to ask Rabbi Hirsch any questions, if you've got any comments, we're talking about the relationship between the Jewish community and the Royal House of Windsor, I guess we could say, and and specifically the Queen. And, of course, uh, the very sad news that she had passed away on Thursday afternoon. So uh, get in touch with us, 34519, that is the text line, or you can send a telegram on 061-895-1019. Message coming through from Ian Smith, Rabbi. And Ian says, Kathy, please ask the rabbi if the Gateshead rabbi used the holy name of Hashem when he said the bracha on seeing Queen Elizabeth II. That's a great question. Thank you, Ian. Yes, absolutely. Just by the way, I have to tell your listeners that uh, you are getting a, a, a preview because I, I normally put out a, uh, a weekly podcast, The History for the Curious, and this week it is going to be on the, the royal family. It hasn't yet been put out, so actually you're, you've got a scoop here on uh, what is going to happen later in the week with my podcast. Uh, but yes, absolutely, that was the question that was asked. Uh, should one make the entire blessing with God's name? And um, the, the response based on uh, the research was absolutely. Why would it be a question? Why would, it, why would it be a question? When you make a bracha, uh, because, you make a bracha. When you make a blessing, you make a blessing. You, you use God's name. You invoke so, the name of Hashem. So, for instance, on the passing of an individual, if somebody... Um, we know passes, there is normally an expression, Baruch Dayan Ha'emet, blessed is the true judge. Yes. But when it is a member of family, a close member of family upon whom one is required to actually mourn, that blessing is said with God's name in its entirety. In other words, if it is incumbent, if it is a requirement, an obligation, you would say it in its entirety. If it's more of a voluntary nature, you would say it absent the name of God. And that's what they uh, clarified with regards to the Queen, and therefore it was said um, in its uh, completeness. Yeah, that Baruch Dayan HaEmet is actually a very... It's very important to be able to say that, to reaffirm that God is in charge, you know, and there is a sense of comfort in that. Often not enough, but still. (laughs) It's very interesting that Queen Elizabeth dies just as we are in the run-up to Rosh Hashanah, where we think of God in terms of being our king. In fact, I know one of my own teachers who was from Israel, um, he was here, he would come every few years to to, to lecture in London. And on one occasion, late at night, he asked to be taken, to be driven to Buckingham Palace so he could stand outside and view the majesty of, uh, you know, the guards who are there, unmoving, you know, standing this uh, ramrod stiff um, and to see this concept of monarchy. And in fact, Diane Errantroy and Robertson Errantroy, so he was the head of the London uh, Beth Din for many years. Um, They were invited to Windsor Castle 
for the Queen's 60th birthday. And the difference between being invited to Windsor Castle and to Buckingham Palace is that Buckingham Palace goes through the government, uh, whereas Windsor Castle is a more private invitation. And uh, it was quite a small group, maybe 10 guests or so. Hmm. And before they went, firstly, they get this embossed letter. There are two envelopes inside. One is the invitation and one um, is the um, menu choices uh, because obviously they're going to be eating kosher. And what has to happen is they have to create kosher caterers will be given the menu in advance. They have to create a menu that looks the same as the menu being served to the other guests who are not eating kosher. That's incredible. So that it all, right. So that it all looks uniform. Um, and um, in fact, even the, the wine, they have to make sure that the, the appearance looks the same. So it is as, as smooth as things go. And they, uh, you, you, you had to send your CV in advance. And these CVs were read both by uh, the Queen and by the Duke of Edinburgh. And during the time that they were there, the Queen and the, the Prince Philip would speak to each individual based on the CVs that they had read. So they took, you know, a genuine interest in who their guests would be. You would come to Windsor Castle. Obviously, you wouldn't do anything as uh, menial as taking your cases uh, to your room. But never mind that. When you got back to your room, the toothpaste had been placed on the brush <coughs> for you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and <coughs> everything had been laid out. Each individual at dinner had their own waiter who wore gloves and changed gloves between each course. You know, the sense of sort of uh, uh, vastness and tradition and history was very much there. And uh, they were taken on a tour of some of Windsor Castle afterwards by the Queen. And they passed a room. They went through a large room filled just with tapestries. And it was the entire story of the of the Book of Esther, the Purim story. That's incredible. Uh, that was up there, you know, a, a adorning the entire room from one end to the other. And, you know, the Queen was bringing the people through. And um, you were sat around the table. The nearer you were to the Queen, that meant the longer, the, the more years of service you had actually put in. Wow. That's it was it was based on. Every detail um, meant something, right? Absolutely, yes. And even you know, the exact distance between plates and uh, everything was there down, done to, you know, how it, how it uh, always uh, had been done. And uh, Lord Dracovitz, um, uh, Lord and Lady Dracovitz also were invited at one stage to, uh, to Windsor Castle overnight. And they unpacked his things as well. They thought his talit, his prayer shawl, was a blanket. So that ended up on the bed. Um, I think, you see, and this is where rumours start. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. And, uh, you know, thankfully, they didn't unpick all the knots in the tit yes. that would have uh, given him quite a job to do for the next morning. Um, and the, um, the interesting thing was that 
Lady Jay, who was uh, never described as a wallflower. She was, you know, very outgoing, very talkative. Um, and she told the Queen the story of how she and Lord Dracovitz had met. And the Queen was so fascinated by the story that she called over her mother, the Queen mother, and said, you have to listen to this story. To, and she told it to her again. So there was a very human dimension in the in the interactions and you were made to feel very comfortable in her presence. I think that that's extraordinary. There were a number of Jews who were knighted by Queen Elizabeth II. Absolutely. Uh, you know, not least of whom is uh, Lord Jonathan Sachs. Absolutely. Yes, you know, both knighted all, I mean, uh, and ennobled. Yes, and um, there, it was not something that, you know, a person's religion uh, would not feature in the criterion of whether one could be elevated either to, to the peerage or one could be given a, a knighthood. And yes, so there, there definitely were people with whom <coughs> the Queen had conversed and had met on, on a number of occasions. In fact, there's a very interesting story with Rabbi Levy. Rabbi Levy was the rabbi of the Spanish and Portuguese um, community in England, um, which is in a way the oldest because uh, when the Jews were readmitted uh, around 1650, um, it was the Spanish and Portuguese who were the ones who uh, came to town and some of them were already here as hidden Jews. So they emerged from hiding and they were the ones who created the first community in the late 1650s. And in fact, maybe it's worth coming back to that because uh, Charles's namesake, almost, he's Charles III. It was Charles II who became the king just when the Jews uh, actually came back into England. So there's uh, a, a quite a historic link to the Jews there. We'll come back to that perhaps. But uh, Rabbi Levy represented the, the Spanish and Portuguese community for many years. And he um, ends up in Buckingham Palace uh, for dinner at one stage. And he tells the story of the fact that uh, Sir Moses Montefiore had an estate in Ramsgate on the coast in England. In fact, that's where he and his wife Judith are buried. There is still the, the synagogue there, etc. And he had quite some extensive gardens on his estate. The place next door, so to speak, belonged to the parents of Queen Victoria. And the grounds of Samosa's Montefiore were grander, were larger. Mm. So he told the young princess that she could come and use his estate and he had a golden key made for her to pass from one estate to the other ah. and this key um, was still somewhere in the royal archives and rabbi levy asked the queen about it and she said, well, we'll have to make sure we can find it. She's <laughs> oh, got and nothing else to do though, but look after the key. <laughs> right. And, and with the amount, the volume of items that they've got, it's somewhat of a needle in a haste. Um, nevertheless, a while later, it took a while, but a while later, they were given 
a copy of this key, wow. which now hangs in the synagogue in Ramsgate. So, That's incredible. you know, there, there was a much a personal dimension, and and people did have conversations with her, which were very positive and 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 uh, very warm. It's quite amazing. Uh, Gail's actually messaged you, Rabbi. Sent, well, mm-hmm. she's messaged both of us. She says, good morning, Kathy and Rabbi Hirsch. Thank you for honoring Her Majesty with such love and interesting stories. That's lovely. Thank you. Thanks, Gail. Yep. You can also be like Gail. You can send us a message, send us your comments, send us your stories, your insights. You can just... Let us know. You want to say hi? Say hi. 34519 is the SMS line, and those SMSs are charged at 1 Rand 50. So that's 34519. You can also send us a message on Telegram, and that number is 061 895 1019. I'm speaking to Rabbi Aubrey Hirsch, and this is History for the Curious. Rabbi Hirsch, uh, we do need to get back. I want to talk about some more stories. But I, w- I just want to check something with you. I was quite surprised to find out that um, Prince Charles firstly is circumcised, but he was circumcised yes. by an Orthodox Mohel. Correct. And a rabbi. Yes. And it's interesting. We're not quite sure when the royal family started this tradition, so to speak, of circumcision. It is clear that uh, Queen Victoria had her son, Edward VII, who eventually became the king. Um, he was circumcised, as was his son, George V. It's, there, there is a legend to the fact that the Hanoverian house, which would take you all the way back to George I, um, that they already introduced it, but there is absolutely no knowledge of this and it's uh, less likely shall we say um but it uh, definitely uh, occurs in the time of queen victoria so it's a tradition that goes back 130 140 years although i do not believe charles is circumcised but i don't believe uh, that uh, william is so I'm not sure if that tradition will still continue. But yes, as you say, it was a mohel, a, an orthodox rabbi, Rabbi Snowman, who was the uh, person who carried out uh, the circumcision. So um, there is that connection that but it's so, it's uh, he so, has. But isn't it interesting that that he would be circumcised by a, by an orthodox rabbi Rather than going and having a medical procedure, isn't that isn't that interesting? Yes. Why yeah. would they that, opt that, for that? that? Yeah, it, it it's very unusual that uh, carrying out something which is medical. I mean, it was carried out by somebody obviously who had vast experience, and that might be the reason. You know, the average doctor um, who is not Jewish will not really have carried out this procedure very often. If uh, you, uh, on the other hand, use the services of a mile, um, they would have done this hundreds, potentially thousands of times, and therefore they will be much more experienced. And I, I guess that was the factor that determined it. But uh, yes, there's another thing about Charles III is that um, he has his own kippah, uh, with the Royal Herald on it. There are photos of him wearing this one, an iconic photo when he visited Krakow 
and the old cemetery there. Um, Mr. Leo Noe here in London um, was responsible for bringing him over. He created the JCC, the Jewish Community Centre in Krakow, which Prince Charles opened. Um, and there's a photo of him in the uh, cemetery um, with uh, this kippah, but it's not the only occasion on which he wore it. There is, however, one other aspect of the Queen's reign that uh, needs to be discussed, but that is something that took place outside of the United Kingdom. Oh, well, what are we waiting for? Let's dive right in, Rabbi. So the Queen visited 129 countries during the years of her service, but never visited Israel. And this had a number of Jews uh, really, uh, well, they were upset, uh, somewhat up in arms as to why Israel was excluded from her travel itinerary. Especially since Um, her mother-in-law is buried there. Correct, yes. And Prince Philip went, Prince Charles went, although they went on um, what were called private visits, not state visits, uh, but the Queen never visited. And uh, the truth is that she um, took over as Queen only um, four years after the mandate, the British mandate in Palestine expired. And the sentiment of the Foreign Office and within the uh, British royal family at the time um, was not pro-Israel. They might have seen Jews within the UK as their loyal subjects, and they might have had positive feelings towards them, uh, but Israel was not seen in the same light at all. And therefore, um, initially, the Foreign Office uh, would definitely have been behind um, the lack of uh, connection to this new country, which obviously had um, emerged from the um, from from almost forcing the British out, although, you know, from a Jewish perspective, they had issued the Balfour Declaration in November 1917, and uh, it's not as if they didn't promise statehood to us. Either way, it had become very complicated, and uh, the British army would not have had a positive view of Israel, um, so that this created the beginnings of her reign. In fact, it's very interesting. Prince Philip and, at the time, Princess Elizabeth got married in November of 1947. Wow. And a week after they got married was the vote on the partition in the UN of Israel. On the 29th, it was uh, Shabbat, the 29th of November uh, was the date of the vote. And they got married on Thursday, the 20th of November. So those two events, her becoming part of what would eventually be, you know, the the, the ruling um, family of uh, the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth and um, the, the news coming from the Middle East, Uh, They were very much uh, intertwined, 
And um, this created an outcome, an outcome which meant that uh, she was advised uh, not to go there. Um, and therefore, one can say that within her kingdom, um, her relationship was definitely very warm and individualized and uh, of concern to all her subjects and Jews were very much included in that. Uh, but there is this element of Israel um, where she was basically almost put on a short leash, whether within the royal family or whether by the foreign office, we will probably never know, at least not uh, at the moment, uh, but that definitely was the, the outcome. And there is a, a well-known story about Yehuda Avner, who uh, at one stage was the Israeli ambassador to the United Kingdom in 1983. And um, there is a whole protocol associated with an ambassador presenting their credentials to the queen. Um, and um, I actually heard this story from the uh, current Israeli ambassador. Um, she was at a dinner that we made at the JLE um, last uh, September, and we got into conversation and in fact, the conversation was about that which we were talking about last week, the Kinesa collection. Yeah. Um, and um, we were mentioning that uh, Rabbi Huda Alevi, one of the poet laureates, so to speak, of the Jewish people, had spoken about the fact that he lives in the West, but his heart is in the East, Libiba Mizrach. And she told me, therefore, this story as a result. So when Yehuda Avner comes to uh, present his credentials, there's an entire protocol um, and an entire way of dressing that goes with it. And um, he is conveyed to Buckingham Palace in a horse and carriage of four white horses. And uh, he has to wear a bow tie, except this was in August. And he was boiling and you have to have a start shirt and the, the works. And then, you you know, you come to the door and you bow and then you walk two more steps and you bow again. And then you say, um, your majesty, I have the honor to present to you my credentials as the ambassador of Israel to the court of St. Jane. This is how it works. And at that stage, the, the queen says, thank you. She receives these protocols, gives them to a lady in waiting. And then she said to Yehuda Avner, I do believe that this is the first time I have ever received credentials from a foreign ambassador who was actually born in this country, because Yehuda Avner was from Manchester. Oh, my gosh. Born, right. And in fact, and this is also the ambassador told me this, he gave up his British citizenship the day before, because you cannot be an ambassador with this dual citizenship. And so he wasn't surprised to hear this question. And he answers, you know, your majesty, although I was physically born in the country, I was spiritually born in Jerusalem, 2000 miles away. And we were exiled. This is 2000, almost 2000 years ago. And, you know, the queen says, how unfortunate. And then changes the conversation to talk about the weather because <laughs> it wasn't something that almost she was able to be drawn on. <laughs> you know? and, uh, oh, so my word. That's 
the conversation and then, you know, at one stage there's a Chamberlain behind him who um, sounds a discreet cough and, uh, you know, the Yehuda Avna introduces his wife and uh, various <laughs> men of the embassy and then they bow and curtsy and they make their way out the room and that was in 1983, August that this event happened. So, yes, very much uh, ceremonial, very much of care, but Israel was a, a separate issue. I've got a question about something that you were actually saying, and it's the first time that I actually thought about it consciously, is that, you know, you're going and you're going to get knighted. Let's use Lord Jonathan Sachs as an example, mm-hmm. right? You're going to get knighted by this by Queen Elizabeth, and... You go in and you have to walk two steps. As you say, it's all about protocols and observing yeah. the protocols. You walk two steps and then you have to bow. And then you walk mm-hmm. two steps. Now, we, as Jews, we are forbidden from bowing to anybody except God. So how does that so, work? Well, yes and no. In, in other words, when we're talking about uh, prostration, in other words, to be completely uh, not just bowing, uh, but subservient. Yes. Um, in in the sense that... So it's literal uh, and figurative. Yes, correct. And, and one, when one sort of falls to the ground, so uh, generally there is a prohibition against this, although we find even in biblical times with uh, Abraham, for instance, when he is looking to buy a uh, the um, burial cave in Hebron to bury his wife Sarah, um, that it says Vayishtahu, he bowed down uh, to the uh, tribe of Het, um, and therefore it's not um, completely uh, um, forbidden under all circumstances, but clearly when it is just a case of bowing, which does not involve further uh, falling to the ground, so to speak, generally speaking, that is perfectly permissible when one is doing so as an act of honor, which this most clearly is, and therefore that does not present uh, an issue, it does not present a halachic, a, a legal problem, a legal question. Incredible. I'm speaking, I'm Kathy Kale, and I'm speaking to Rabbi Aubrey Hirsch. And this is History for the Curious. Rabbi Hirsch puts out a, a podcast and this show is based on that. But you're getting... This is it. He's, he, you know what's going to happen. He's not going to put out podcasts anymore. He's going to use the High FM show as a podcast. Yes, I'm sure. We're going to be wrapping up in about five minutes. If you've got any comments, any questions for Rabbi Hirsch, weigh in. Join the discussion. You've got five minutes to do it. Don't say I didn't tell you. 34519 is the SMS line. Those SMSs are charged at one rand fifty by your service provider. You can also send me a telegram on 061-895-1019. You can even email from anywhere in the world on air at chaifm.com, C-H-A-I-F-M.com. We're talking about the British royal family and the Jews. Rabbi Hirsch, before I let you go, I want to ask you about where to from here. What kind of a king do you think Charles III is going to be? But you're going to have to hold that thought. I'm going to answer that right after this. This is History for the Curious with Rabbi Aubrey Hirsch. 
I'm Kathy Kaler, and indeed, he is Rabbi Aubrey Hirsch. He's a lecturer. This is History for the Curious. And if you'd like to get in touch with him, perhaps there's a topic that you'd like him to, that you'd like Rabbi Hirsch to cover, this is how you do it. You can send an email to history at chaifm.com. And you can also find links on, uh, I think it's aubreyhirsch.com, right? Well, it's, it's easier through through the, the podcast, through History for the Curious podcast. Uh, you'll find... Uh, Wherever you um, find your podcast. Email address yeah. there as well. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, gosh, how about that? An unsigned message coming in, wanting to know, can we believe that it's 21 years since 9-11? Yesterday, of course, was of... Uh, yes, correct. Absolutely. Absolutely crazy. Absolutely uh, crazy. All right, let's get back to talking about the Queen and specifically oh, about Charles, Charles the I, King yeah. Charles so, III. So actually, his full name is Charles Philip Arthur George, and he could have chosen any of those four as his royal name. So he could have become Philip I. Uh, he could have become George the Seventh. It would have been. Um, he chose Charles, uh, Charles the Third. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Charles the Second was the king who uh, presided over the return of the Jews to England after a three hundred and fifty year absence, um, and uh, was on positive terms with the Jews. Gave them quite some rights, even while the Catholics in the UK were being held back, or in England, they were being held back. Uh, but the Jews were given quite a degree of freedom. Um, so that augurs well for Charles III. Um, and of course, he has had friendships with uh, Lord Jonathan Sachs in particular, but with others. And one sees absolutely no reason why this won't uh, continue, why uh, uh, there won't be a the the relationship that the queen had with people uh, why this won't be the case uh, of course he is in his 70s it is worth bearing that in mind um, and he's coming to the throne quite late in life with a lot of experience of life in in many different areas um, and this also shapes uh, an individual similar to to charles ii because uh, he'd been spirited away during the period during the one decade of the last thousand years that there hasn't been a royal family on the throne in England. And while he was in almost in hiding in Holland, there were Jews taking care of him. So when he came back in the 1650s, he was quite positive to the Jews. In fact, uh, I think I have a podcast on that called Political Intrigues. Um, but Charles III, by um, all determinants, would seem to be in a place that um, would be positive to his subjects and to the Jews. Do you think so, that yeah. looking at where the world is, and it's all about emancipation of the individual, where everybody's the same and everybody's special, right? Do you think that there'll still be a place within all societies for a royal family? And I'm not speaking specifically about the British royal family. I'm talking about royalty right. throughout. The, 
So I think the uh, the reason the institution has endured in the UK is because it is a very British thing. It goes to the heart of being British. Um, we do like tradition and the, you know, the opening of the parliament and the black rod knocking on the door. Um, and therefore, it is the type of thing that um, has a, a greater shelf life than in other countries. Um, and as I mentioned, it is a thousand years old here. So I think it will endure into uh, William's rule. Uh, whether it'll go beyond that, that's very difficult to know. But as things stand, I would say we have another two monarchs that are likely uh, to sit on the throne. They will probably have, especially William, will probably have a more open relationship. But in truth, that's what it used to be like when the kings of old shared with the individuals some of their questions and some of their advice. So, you know, it won't be a complete um, recreation of the wheel. Uh, but beyond the next two monarchs, who can who can really say? Yeah, when one looks at William and, and Kate, you know, the, the prince and princess of Wales, it would be a terrible waste if they weren't king and queen. <laughs> you know, there's something they very have, regal about them. And they, they've won themselves a place. Yeah. In society, Especially her. In, She's just really something else. Yeah. So, you know, I, I would think so. But um, if I hear any differently, I will <laughs> know. Rabbi Aubrey Hirsch, it's been wonderful. Huge privilege for me to speak to you. And thank you so much. If you would like to get in touch with Rabbi Hirsch, you can. You can just send him an email, history at chaifm.com. He'll be back next week talking about the Egypt, the Egyptian, what is the Cairo Geniza? Part two. And for those who want a further elaboration on what we spoke about today, I'm going to be putting out a podcast, History for the Curious, this week on the royal family, which will have added details to all that we mentioned today. Thank you so much, Rabbi Hirsch. And to you, I wish you a blessed week. And go and make history. God bless. Bye-bye.